0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here uh, to worship with us at the Vista. As always, we're glad you're here. Um, Hope you make yourself right at home. Hope you feel loved, welcomed, and wanted, whether this is your first time with us or whether you're a regular uh, attender or member here at the Vista. I'm always glad to have you. Glad you've given part of your Sunday morning to come and worship with us. Today, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, we're starting a new series called Good Vibes Only. We're going to be looking at the subject of joy over the next several weeks. Uh, Before we get to that, I I, uh, wanted to share some um, what I think is incredibly joyful uh, news and um, share with you how we were um, able to bless and spend some money that you gave uh, on behalf of some others. And so uh, a few weeks ago, we did something we've never done before. We call it dollar days. Um, And the challenge was that everyone here would just give a dollar. So we passed some buckets at the end of the service. We don't normally do that. But a few weeks ago we did, and the challenge was if you have $1, just $1, we're going to ask everyone that can, I know a lot of people don't carry cash, to drop a dollar in, in the bucket. And we weren't really sure uh, how much we would get. Um, we were trying to be real specific. This is not your, your normal tithing offering. There's other ways to give that. But just if you have a dollar today, we're going to ask you to give a dollar. Um, not knowing what we would raise uh, anywhere from, you know, a couple hundred dollars to maybe $1,000 or whatever. Well, we, were actually, we actually raised over $4,000. Which is really good news. Some of you, it also means, um, it means some of you don't follow directions real well, which is, you know, well, we won't hold it against you. We're, we're grateful for the generosity. But we were able to raise over $4,000 on Dollar Sunday. Um, and so we took those dollars and we were able to bless uh, three different uh, people in our church with, with that money. And so I wanted to just share with you specifically who the money went to and, and what we were able to do for each of these, each of these people, okay? Um, The first recipient of of the funds was a single mom in our church who has a goal of completing nursing school to try to continue to build a better life for her and her young daughter. This particular family has faced a number of challenges and obstacles when uh, the husband and father abandoned them uh, rather abruptly and unexpectedly. But they trust God to see them through it all and always have. Vista is happy to have purchased for this mom a new laptop for her. She needed a new laptop to finish her schooling. The one that she was using um, was was very old and stopped working. And it was very hard for her to do everything from papers, projects, everything without a computer. But she did not know how she was going to be able to buy a new one. And so we took some money and we are buying her a brand new laptop so she can finish that. She wrote this to Vista. um, This computer that I'm getting is such a blessing. And I want to become a nurse so that I can go on Vista mission trips and help others with medical needs. I'm so thankful to each and every person who helped be a part of this. And I know that God has big plans for me. Vista is a place I call home. And I have so much gratitude. Thank you. Okay? That was recipient number one. Yeah. The second recipient was a young man in our church um, who recently is coming back to church and began walking with the Lord after many, many years away from church. And he has come through one of our ministries, our alpha ministry in particular. Um, he's formed some really incredible bonds and friendships with others uh, that are seeking to follow Jesus uh, together. Uh, this particular young man has also experienced the realities of homelessness um, in his life. And he's been trying to get back on his feet. And he now has some sustainable work and he's trying to uh, get his own place and um, Obviously, a deposit is important for that, and so we decided we're going to take some money from what you gave. We're going to um, pay the deposit on his apartment and pay his first month's rent so that he can get back on his feet and get his own place uh, for the first time in a while. Here's what he wrote to, to you, the church. He says, um, I lost what was in order to gain something more beautiful. Thank you. Can't even scratch the surface of how much this means. Uh, thank you to the church, and thank you to Almighty Jesus. Okay, that was recipient number two of some of the funds. And then finally, we took um, the rest, and we, uh, there's a young woman in our church who has been deeply committed here, um, been a part of our church for actually a long time, serves every single week faithfully um, in our church, and she's had a lot of various challenges in her life, um, and, and not a whole lot of support um, from family and others. Um, so having experienced uh, poverty and hardship, she, never, um, she has never once given up on trusting that God will be faithful to her. Um, in seasons of struggle, um, when there was a, a, a gap in some job stuff and the economy going bad, she was forced to uh, buy some basic necessities using a, a credit card. And you know how quickly that can spiral and, and hard to get out from under some of that. And that debt has felt crippling for her at times. She is now on a plan um, to get out from under that, and she's working that plan uh, very, very well. Um, but now, in the meantime, her car has also broken down, and she doesn't know have the money to, to get it fixed. And so we are going to uh, fix her car for her, um, completely um, fix that, and then also we're going to help with a, a good chunk of that credit card debt so she can get back on her feet. And here is what she wrote to the Vista. She said, this gift is more than just a fin- is, is more than just financial relief. It is a reminder of the depth of God's love, faithfulness, and kindness through the generous heart of his people. I have needed so much help in my life in almost every way imaginable. I'll never have enough words to express my gratitude, but if my tears could speak, they would say, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right? So, so I just want to say a thank you to you and for your generosity. We're going to do this periodically. Um, One of the things we've talked about... um, In our exec staff meetings and even with our finance team is how can we do a better job of sort of giving a snapshot to our people about um, when they give to the VISTA, um, how that is used and how that really does impact people's lives. Um, And so many of you give regularly, faithfully, generously, and, and it goes to fund all of our ministries. It goes to fund uh, all of our local missions partners, our global missions partners all around the world. Um, We help plant churches with it. We have family assistance ministries that does things just like this regularly every single month where there are those in our church that have need, those even outside the church, some of which um, have a lot of need that we try to help meet. And so when you give uh, to the church, we want you to know um, that that is is used for a variety of different things. Dollar day is simply a, a snapshot um, and it sounds insignificant. I know some people are like, well, what is my $1, $5, $10, $50, $100? What does my little bit do? And Dollar Day is just a great example of how um, when we, we come together, even if you, you give very little, that God takes our indiv- what is individually maybe very little and, and collectively together um, uses it to bless, to bless people. And I want you to know that your, your dollar, those of you that gave, you gave $1. Many of you gave $1. Um, God literally used your dollar to help change three people's lives right, and that's, that's a snapshot of what generosity um, from the church can do, and so thank you for giving, and again, we, we're going to do this periodically um, just to, um, in addition to our regular tithes and offerings, just to kind of show um, how we can specifically bless some individuals and, and let you know that, so thank you again uh, for giving um, now to transition in light of that, we're going to talk about joy for a little while, now if that doesn't give you some joy, I don't know what will quite frankly um, but We get to talk about joy for the next few weeks, so if you've been with us this whole year, um, we went through the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, which I warned you, uh, we basically depressed everybody going through Ecclesiastes, and so now we're going to swing hard the other way, and we're going to talk about joy for a little bit post-resurrection. We're going to spend some time talking about joy in a sermon series called Good Vibes Only, all right? So to get started in that, we're going to be in Philippians 4. Philippians is one of my favorite books of the Bible, uh, written by the Apostle Paul, and when I think about... Uh, someone that had joy and lived life with joy and wrote about joy, um, in the midst of some really difficult circumstances in his life, in all that he went through, um, I often think about the Apostle Paul. Um, and so um, I'm gonna be in, we're going to be in Philippians 4. I'll start with this question, uh, what brings you joy? Or maybe more specifically, what are sort of some sources for joy in your life. Just think about that. And they can be, there's going to be a lot of different ones. I, I imagine if we had time and we went around the room and I was able to ask you, um, uh, we would have some different answers to that, right? Th- there are different, there's a variety of different sort of sources of joy in, in your life. Um, I would remind you, just as we get started, that that true biblical joy is different than kind of momentary happiness, right? Like happiness in your life is usually built on circumstances, right? You can be happy for a season, for a moment, maybe you receive a gift, or you get something, or something goes your way, and there's just, there's a lot of momentary happiness, but true biblical joy is different than happiness. It's not built on circumstances. It is more steady and consistent and sustainable, and it doesn't mean you're just delighted in everything that happens to you, but there is clear evidence biblically that believers can have joy even in the midst of Trial and heartache and pain and loss and tragedy and suffering. Um, and again, when I think about someone that did that, um, I think about the Apostle Paul. Uh, we are told in Scripture that we as believers should possess joy. In fact, a few weeks ago, I, I preached on um, how we bear fruit in our lives. Um, the fruit being the things that ought to come out of or flow out of our lives and how we can bear fruit. And one of the things I referred to is Galatians 5. In Galatians 5 is a list of what's called the fruit of the Spirit. And the second thing listed is joy, right? The, 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 something that should flow out of our lives as Christians. Love and then joy is literally the second thing mentioned. So we should be people that possess joy. But again, that's easier said than done sometimes, particularly when things in our life don't go, don't go our way. The Apostle Paul is someone that, again, I think just provides a really great example. And so what I want to do is just kind of look at how he did that. Um, I, I, I picked Philippians because I think, um, if not the theme, one of the themes of the book of Philippians is, is joy. Um, Paul uses five different Greek words in this particular short letter uh, to express the emotion of joy. Um, in one form or another, uh, this word is used almost 20 times, 19 times in four short chapters does Paul mention joy, and it's used multiple times in every single chapter, okay, okay? Every single chapter. And so Paul's writing a lot, a lot about joy in Philippians, and yet I would remind you that the Apostle Paul writes this particular letter from prison, okay, from prison. In addition, as you read about Paul's life, he's been in ministry by this point about a decade or so, um, usually having to walk up to, you know, 10, 15, 20 miles every single day. Uh, the guy has been uh, beaten mercilessly multiple times, okay? Okay. Uh, He has been shipwrecked um, several times. He has been um, stoned. At one point, he's stoned and left for dead, meaning they stoned him to the point they thought he was dead, like unconscious, and then walked off and left him. But he wasn't really dead, so he regains consciousness, like dusts himself off, and heads back into town, right? That's the (laughs) Apostle Paul. He had to be incredibly frustrating for opponents of the gospel, right? Because Paul's like, you know, we're going to kill you. They're like, we're going to kill you if you don't stop preaching about Jesus, He's like, all right, well, then I get to go to heaven and be with Christ, all right? Like, to die is gain, let's, that's fine. All right, well, then we're going to, you know, we're going to let you live. You're going to live. And he's like, all right, well, to live is Christ. Let's do this, right? More of Jesus, right? Like, no matter what they tried to do, I mean, Paul was just like joy, okay? He just chose to be a joyful person. Um, he was thrown in prison all the time. I've joked before that Paul probably had his own jumpsuit, custom fit, right? Everywhere he went, they're like, oh, it's Paul again. Get the jumpsuit down. Get it back on him, right? Paul always went to prison. He was ridiculed, slandered, um, really just drug through the ringer in large part for following Christ. And yet, despite all of that, he writes about joy. Like, Paul could have had a pretty cush life if he decided not to follow Jesus. He was brilliant. He was a scholar. He was climbing the ladder of success. He was held in high esteem and high regard by his peers. He could have had some vacation homes in some places, made a pretty lucrative living as a scholar. Um, but instead, he chooses to follow Jesus, and all this stuff starts happening to him, Right? And yet Paul seems to possess a great deal of joy. And he writes about it in the letter to the Philippian church. And again, I would remind you the Philippian church is a church that is a little different than all of the other letters Paul writes. Uh, Most of the letters Paul writes, he's addressing a particular um, issue, um, a a problem in the church, a group of, of, of problematic people, some theological dispute. He's rebuking them or setting them straight because they're in error in some way. But not in Philippians. In Philippians... Paul's not writing to address or rebuke or correct or anything. And so what do you write about to a church that seems to be doing really, really well? Well, apparently you write about joy. You write about how to have joy, how to possess joy, how to live out joy in in your life. And so that's what what Paul does in this letter to the the Philippian church. And so Philippians 4, um, I'll begin in verse 4. And here's what Paul says. He says to rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say rejoice. Some, I don't know what version of the Bible you read from, but in some versions, it literally translates, have joy in the Lord, and again, I will say, have joy, or be full of joy, okay? He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Boy, that's hard, right? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, okay? So Paul has just told the church to have joy, to continually have joy, and then look what he turns to next, okay? The very next thing, here's how verse 8 reads, finally, brothers, whatever is true and whatever is honorable and whatever is just and whatever is pure whatever is lovely and whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about, set your minds on, dwell on, focus on these things. Here's the first kind of big idea. It's that there seems to be a connection, I would say, in the life of the Apostle Paul, but also in the life of of everyone, uh, between a person that has joy and possesses joy and lives with joy in their life and the things that they choose to set their minds on and focus on, right? Like people that are really stressed out and anxious all the time, in a large degree, it's because they're setting their minds on, and maybe it's, I know it's not a switch, you can just flip off, right? But you tend to focus on the things that bring you a great deal of stress and anxiety. But Paul seems to say, like, focus on some other stuff, like focus on These other things, Um, uh, I read this quote this week that said, uh, thoughts are to our mental health what food is to our physical health, right? Like what we choose to focus on, what we choose to set our minds on matters when it comes to joy. Paul writes in Romans 12, 1 and 2, a pretty familiar text of scripture. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you uh, present or offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2 reads, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. But there's this challenge, if we're not going to be conformed to the pattern of this world, which, by the way, is a lot of stress and anxiety, right? If we're not going to be conformed to the pattern of the world, then it really starts with what we set our minds on and what we choose to focus on. Paul seemed to be someone who focused on the right thing. So I was thinking about verse 8 a lot this week. And, and to, be, uh, to be frank, verse 8, um, it's, it's a little bit vague, right? It's pretty broad. Whatever, focus on whatever is true. And whatever is just, like, that's a lot. You're like, okay, what exactly should I be focused on, right? What should I be focused on? So I I thought I would just try to uh, narrow it down a little bit for you. And I just want to give you kind of three things um, that I think should be and are sources of joy for all believers. And I think they were, in fact, sources of joy for the Apostle Paul. All right. So if you struggle with, with joy in your life as a believer in Christ, um, this is just three, um, I, I would say, fairly obvious things, but things that hopefully we can turn our attention to um, and, and focus on that should, in fact, bring us joy. All right. The first one of those is what we celebrated last week and we talked about last week, and that is simply the empty tomb, right? The resurrection of Jesus should, in fact, be a great source of joy for all believers. It was for Paul. Paul wrote in Corinthians to the, to the church there, and he said that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is futile, and we are all dead in our trespasses and our sins. Like, Paul understood that the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. We don't serve a God who is dead in a tomb somewhere. We serve a living God, a risen Savior. And that changes everything. That means that death, heartache, pain, dying, suffering, all the stuff we experience in life does not have the final word, right? That stuff does not have the final word. Life, victory, resurrection has the final word, right? So we spent some time talking about that on Easter if you were here last week. Paul seemed to focus on the resurrection of Jesus. He writes about it often. He writes about it often because the resurrection of Christ was a source of great joy for Paul. Even in the midst of of a lot of heartache and suffering and trial and pain, he could focus on the fact that the tomb is empty and that changes everything. Right? That changes everything. The second thing that Paul seemed to focus on was the goodness of God. He just focused on the goodness or the faithfulness of God. Again, I'm reminded that Paul's life kind of took a turn for the worse in a lot of ways because he chose to follow Jesus, right? Again, um, he was, if he had not chosen to follow Christ, if, he, if God had not gotten a, heart, a hold of his heart on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, um, man, from a physical standpoint, his life would have probably been a lot easier. And yet when Paul writes these letters, he's not bemoaning the fact that He has all of this problems and struggle because I'm following Jesus. He's writing about being a recipient and how we are recipients of the good things of God. We are recipients of his grace and his favor. We're recipients of salvation that we don't deserve. We're recipients of his forgiveness and his love. Paul focuses on the blessings and the good things. He focuses on the fact that God has been unbelievably good through Christ and I've said it before, but if he doesn't do anything else for us, as long as we live, he's already done too much, more than we deserve. And so Paul focuses on the goodness of God. I, I would remind you that in the Old Testament, God often calls his people to stop and slow down and reflect on the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Often when they're, the, 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 the children of Israel are going somewhere, they're moving somewhere, God is leading them somewhere... He'll often have these moments where the, he, he says stop and, and set up some memorial stones or A build an Ebenezer. And the whole goal was that generations that would come later would see those monuments and those things. And they would be reminded that God had done something unbelievably good for his people in that moment. All out of their holidays and their festivals and Passover and all of that stuff was ultimately about yearly celebrating the goodness and the faithfulness of God in their past. Because listen... I've said it before, but again, the best indicator that God will be good and faithful to you in the future is by remembering how God has been good and faithful to you in the past. And so we need to be people that focus on the goodness of God. That doesn't mean everything in your life is just really going great. In fact, this side of heaven, it's not, and it's probably not. But you can choose to focus on the good things. The blood, my grandmother used to always say, count your blessings, you just gotta count your blessings. A lot of truth in that, right? That's, that's probably something the Apostle Paul would have said. Just count your blessings, right? Think about, reflect on, focus on the goodness of God. Number three, um, Paul seemed to focus on the reality of heaven. He focused on the reality of heaven. He focused on where he was headed. In chapter three of this very same book, in Philippians 3, verse 20, Paul writes, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul seemed to focus on the reality of heaven. Paul knew where he was going. The reason Paul can endure so much heartache, pain, and struggle, and suffering in his life and in his ministry was because Paul understood where he was headed. I don't know about you, but if I know something really, really unbelievably good awaits, I can can endure a whole lot more on my way to get there, right? Paul reminds us, church, listen, this world is not our home. It's not. This world is not our home. And all of the heartache and all of the pain and all the suffering and all of the tragedy and all of the loss that we deal with in this life, it is in fact temporary. And one day it will be no more. Because one day we will be with Jesus in his kingdom forever. And that seemed to be something that really sustained the Apostle Paul. And in difficult seasons, it was a source of great joy for him. The reality of heaven. Every time I do a funeral, um, this is... This is uh, something that, 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 I, that I try to point to, right? Um, funerals, obviously, by their very nature, are very sad. They're particularly tragic when you have to do a funeral for a child. Someone that maybe died um, way too early, way too soon. It's just gut-wrenching. Um, and and it, it's one of those things where um, you, you try to, uh, to bring comfort um, to families. And, and listen, the only thing, sometimes there's just no words. There's just no words. Um, and all I know to do is point to the reality of heaven and remind them that the struggle and the pain and the heartache that you're feeling now is temporary. It it, it will not, it will not last. And the fact that Jesus rose from the grave and that heaven is a reality means that those things uh, are not, are not the final word, right? They're not the final word. So this week, listen, if you're struggling with uh, joy in your life as a believer in Christ, um, can I just challenge you to remember those three things, right? The tomb is empty, the goodness of God, the reality of heaven. That seemed to be what Paul focused on. Um, there's another thing I wanted to get to that I think was also another reason why Paul was able to live with a lot of joy. Um, I asked a question as we started, what brings you joy or what is the source of great joy in your life? Um, I'll ask another question as we kind of look at the next little section of scripture and that is this, what, what robs you of joy? Um, what are the things in your life that tend to steal um, your, your joy a little bit? There was something else that, that, that Paul wrote in the next few verses that I think, again, were um, sort of a secret to his, to his joyfulness. Here's what he says. Verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So he's talking about the church that knew about Paul's struggle, knew about his suffering, but they really couldn't help right then. But Paul finds some joy in the fact that they, they are very concerned for him. Look what he says in verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul, um, I notice this other connection, that it seems to be that there's a connection in, in the joyfulness of Paul, and I would say the joyfulness of others, Um, and a certain degree of contentedness in your life. You are going to have a very hard time being um, joyful if you can't learn to be content. And, And the reason for that is pretty simple, and that's that it's hard to live a joyful life when you constantly feel entitled to more. Are you with me? It's hard to live a joyful life if you constantly feel entitled to more. And so one of the things that Paul realized, um, again, he had spent moments and seasons of his life where he had plenty, but he also had a lot of seasons in his life where he was in desperate need and reliant and dependent on other people. And Paul's saying, look, I've learned no matter what my circumstances, I've learned no matter which side of the pendulum I'm on, I've learned how to be content. I think one of the secrets to Paul's joy is the fact that he was able to learn contentedness. He was was able to learn how to be content. And again, I remind you, It's a learned behavior, right? Contentedness is not something we're born with. If you have kids, you already know that, right? Like, no one's born content. In fact, man, we shoot out of the womb just very selfish people, don't we? Like everything, mine, 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 just give me, give me, it's mine, right? That's what we do. And so what happens when we don't learn contentedness is we stay like little children on Christmas morning who experience momentary happiness with all of their gifts, and then a month later, they're not playing with any of them, and they're bored with them, right? Sometimes as adults, we live that way, too. We experience these, these moments of great happiness, and we think that it's joy, but then after that sort of moment or whatever passes, we're, we're back to, you know, we're just mad or angry or depressed again, right? We don't, we, don't, we don't have a sustained joyfulness, and part of it, I think there's at least some roots there in how we learn to be content, learn to be content. The opposite of contentedness is covetousness, right? The opposite of contentedness is covetousness. The Bible calls it a sin. And I would remind you, um, as you think about different stories in the Bible, how many sins um, that have played out in Scripture are rooted in covetousness. They're rooted in coveting. Everything from adultery to murder to stealing and lying to things like gossip and slander. At the end of the day, a lot of those are rooted in coveting when our hearts and minds are frustrated and discontent, right? When we are discontent. And so as I look at someone who had joy, even in the midst of difficult seasons and circumstances, which all of us will be there at some point in our life, and he was able to still maintain joy, I think about the Apostle Paul. And it seems to be that two of the big secrets are what you choose to focus on, focusing what you set your minds on, the perspective, if you will, that you keep, and then also learning a certain degree of contentedness. Now, I wanted to end um, with one other kind of big idea here. Um, The final verse that I wanted to read is verse 13. Philippians 4, verse 13 is arguably the most popular or one of the most popular verses in all of, really all of the Bible, uh, in all of the New Testament, certainly in the book of Philippians, right? This is one of those smacking on a t-shirt or coffee mug or bumper sticker kind of verses, right? Paul writes this, he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength or who strengthens me, right? A really popular verse. Um, and a lot of times we like to take verses like this and completely remove them from their context and make them apply to things they were never really meant to apply to, right? Like, um, this is one of those verses I've heard people say, like, you know, I, I believe I can, I, can, I can do anything as long as I have enough faith. Or I can do anything as long as God is with me, um, no, you can't, <laughs> right? Like, uh, you just can't. There's just things you're not gonna be able to do. You have limits, we have limits. Humanity has limits and boundaries to stuff we can and can't do. And it doesn't matter if you, you know, believe in God enough or quote enough verses or, or whatever. Like, um, when I was growing up, I, w- I played basketball. And I wanted to be able to dunk a basketball, um, and I never could. I never could dunk a basketball um, on a 10-foot goal. A lot of my friends could. I had friends that were um, just better athletes and taller, and they could all dunk. And I was like, one of these days, I'm gonna be able to dunk. No, I cannot dunk. I've never been able to dunk, right? And it doesn't matter how many verses I know. It doesn't matter if I can quote Philippians 4.13. I could write that thing and smack it on my sneakers, and it's not going to help me jump higher, right? I can't dunk a basketball. Um, I, can't, I need the help of more than... I need, like, the help of Jesus and a trampoline if I'm going <laughs> to dunk a basketball, right? So it's not a verse saying, you know, you can do anything. Um, no, there's, there's limits. In context, what Paul's talking about here is the fact that, again... He said there's been seasons of his life where he's, he's had a lot. And then there's been seasons of his life where he didn't have anything. He's lived with wealth and he's lived with poverty. He's lived on both sides of the spectrum. And he's simply saying, look, in those moments of hardship and trial and suffering, I have learned how to be content with that. I believe that it's a verse about God's faithfulness. God is with me even in those seasons. Whether I am rich or whether I am poor, God is with me and God is good. That's what he's saying in Philippians 4.13. No matter what season of life you're in and where you find yourself, it's a verse saying, look, hold on to your faith. God is with you no matter where no matter where you're at. And I bring that to your attention because again, it's just one of those verses that we can we can often sort of just use for a lot of a lot of things. I know some people think that, man, for to have joy in my life, we'll look in a lot of different places. And even within the church, you know, we'll we'll point people to things, we'll talk about memorizing scripture, and we often can kind of treat scripture again like it's a like it's a, there's a, a secret code in there, right? Like if you really, you know, you need, you need joy in your life, you just, you go to certain verses and memorize all the verses about joy and that'll really help you have joy. You know, and you're, you want to learn how to, you know, um, be a good husband or wife. And so you're like, wow, let's go to, you know, this, this, this code, uh, Song of Solomon. Oh, I hear that's a good one, right? Let's go read that one. Or, oh, the Philippians... Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, I hear that's about love. Let's, let's go look at that one. And we flip around and we think, if I just know the verses and I know the theology, then I'm going to have those things in my life. And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way, right? Like, it doesn't work that way. Because here's the thing. Scripture is not a self-help book. Scripture's not a self-help book. It's not, it's not designed so that you can feel better about yourself and, and if you just read the right verses. Scripture is ultimately about pointing us to and revealing the person and work of Jesus. And church, that's where joy is is ultimately starts and that's where joy is ultimately found. Like it's found in knowing Christ, understanding and knowing what Christ has accomplished for you on your behalf. Without Christ, you can have moments and seasons in your life where you have some momentary happiness, but true biblical joy is found in knowing Jesus and understanding what He has accomplished for you. It's about understanding that the tomb is empty, it's about understanding that God has been good in Christ through His sacrifice for us, and it's about understanding the reality of heaven, that this world is not our home, and that one day we're going to get to be with Him. And that can be the source of our joy. And so if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, and you're looking for joy in your life, can I just tell you that that's where you should start? You should start by knowing who Jesus is, by having a relationship with Jesus. We're going to have some people in a moment that will be standing back there in front of the sound booth, and they're always happy to talk with you or pray with you about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ. Let's pray uh, together. Father, you tell us in your word that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And God, joy sure seems to be a pretty good and perfect gift. And I think most of us, if we're honest, we could use a little more joy in our lives. So Father, I pray today, um, for those that are maybe here that are just struggling with it, with joy. Maybe there's a lot of heartache, a lot of tragedy, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering going on. Um, and those things um, are a part of our broken world, and they are really hard to endure, and they bring a lot of sadness. But Lord, I pray that you would help us, even in the midst of those seasons and those times, to have our joy. Firmly rooted in you. Help us to have our joy firmly rooted in you, um, the way the Apostle Paul uh, seemed to seem to have. We thank you today for the gift of your son. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb and the resurrection. We thank you for your goodness today, your faithfulness to us. Even when we are not faithful, God, you have been and are unbelievably faithful. We thank you today for the reality of heaven, that this world is not our home, that one day we will be with you. And I pray, God, that those things today would be sources of our joy. I pray you would help us to grow in our contentment, that we would not feel entitled, that no matter where we are today in life, that we would remember you and your unbelievable goodness to us and we would be content. And out of that, God, would grow a lot of joy. We pray these things today in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.